First <laughs> Timothy chapter six. Listen, we, we've been in. This is our f- part four of chapter six. This is the last. We're fixing to jump into Second Timothy. So we have been in First Timothy for a hot minute, and uh, we are now. This is our final push uh, of being in First Timothy, and then next week we will start Second Timothy. Um, it been, it's been a delight to go through this first letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. It has been a, just a delight to see these things. And I pray that it's encouraged you and just challenged you in your, your faith and in your walk with Christ. So uh, this week we're going to be in chapter 6 and we'll look at starting in verse 12. Um, Last week we ended on 12, but I want to reiterate 12 again. We saw what we're supposed to pursue as Christ followers. Those who are Christians, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what we're supposed to be following. We're supposed to be following righteousness and faith and godliness. We're supposed to pursue these things. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so we've got this this language that's in the text that's reminiscent of of a a sports illustration uh, or a military type illustration. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24. He says, Do you not know that that in a race... All runners run, but only one receives the prize. This was before the days of participation trophies, so obviously. So, um, stick to the notes, Caleb. Um, Only one receives the prize. So run in such a way to obtain the prize. Philippians chapter 3 is also the same kind of idea. In verse 13 and 14 says, Brothers, I, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we have this, this idea in the text. He tells us over and over, fight the good fight, run the race well, do what is necessary to get to where you need to be, follow Christ with everything you've got. Don't give it just halfway. Go all in. So he tells Timothy here to run the race, fight the fight like you want to get the gold medal. Run that race, get to where you need, strain hard to win in your faith. And listen, this is what we as Christians should long for in our faith. We we should want to strain towards and win the prize that God has for us. So, he also says in verse 12 that you made a confession in front of so many other people. Don't back down from what you did. Don't back down from your confession. Stand bold in your confession. Don't fall for the trap of going backwards. Oh, you don't need to. There's, listen, in the Christian life, there is no such thing as coasting. We do not coast in our Christian life. We are called to fight until the very end. We're called to run until the very end when we cross the finish line. That, especially towards you get towards the end of the race, 
Amy runs these marathons, and when she gets to the finish line, I guarantee you she's not going, when she gets to the finish line, she's not going, well, it's right there. I'm just going to just slowly take my time. When you, ran, when you ran races, Kylie, was that how you, is that how you did things when you ran races? Sometimes. So you're right, she's, she's just limping along. Sometimes there's a limp to it, amen? Listen, we don't cross this. Sometimes when we cross the finish line, it ain't a perfect look. You ever seen people cross the finish line? They look a little nuts sometimes. Sometimes you're going to get across the finish line just, ugh. But man, you're straining towards with everything you've got. And sometimes everything you got doesn't seem like a lot. But in the eyes of God, that's all that matters. Amen? That's all that matters. And so he tells him over and over again, run towards these things. And the confession that you have Don't fall for the trap of going backwards. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. And we know that the prize is who? Christ Jesus. Christ is the prize. Verse 13 of 1 Timothy 6 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So the first thing we see here is it, Paul tells Timothy, I charge you. He's going to use this language in, in 2 Timothy more often. You're going to find that interesting. But he's, Timothy's a young preacher. He's a young guy. And Paul is like a father in the faith. And Paul is trying to mentor and show Timothy what it looks like to pastor in a, in a hostile culture. The, the, the culture that Timothy was in was a hostile culture towards the things of God. Just like we live in a hostile culture today, there, is, there was a hostile culture towards the things of the Lord Jesus Christ in this day. So Paul has this solemn charge to Timothy, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God. I challenge you. I command you in the presence of God. It's a solemn and serious statement calling him to stand firm in what he has done before the Lord and before many witnesses. And I think many of us take our confession way too lightly. We, could, we take our confession that we have made way too lightly and we, we might not say it in rooms like this. We might yes and amen and say, yes, I, I hold dear to my confession. I hold here. I just, I love Christ. I love what Jesus has done. But our actions say so much different. How we commit ourselves to Christ's mission and to his church. Reflect the confession is not something that we take very seriously. We allow other things to get in the way of what we've committed to. We made our commitment of our faith to Christ. The early church pledged their life, their property, their resources to the mission of the gospel. They burned the ships when it came to their commitment. Think of a great illustration. In 1519, there was a guy named Cortez. Now, Cortez was not a godly man. He took great pains at becoming wealthy. He conquered to to get wealth. But what he did is he made a full-on commitment of his life to his mission. It's a great illustration to how Christians should live. In 1519, he amassed hundreds of ships, thousands of men, got 
the information, got all everything necessary, the maps, the charts, got the funding from the, the government of the day to go into South America and search for gold. And they lined up the ships, they pulled up to the shoreline of South America and unloaded everything off of the ships. The men were... It, it, and listen, this was, not any, this was not something to be taken lightly, this trip. It was a treacherous trip. It was a dangerous trip. That they, there is a possibility that they could die on this trip. And Cortez was so committed to this mission that after all of his resources, all his men had gotten off the ship and moved everything to the, to the shorelines, got everything there, they were looking for Cortez. They said, where is he? We need, we need some direction on what's happening. And they looked back over the edge of the cliff down on the shoreline and all those ships that, that they'd sailed in on were all on fire. All the ships were on fire. And they're running back up there. Where's Cortez? The ships are on fire. The ships are on fire. What? And they find Cortez with a torch. Torching the ships. Because he said, we're going to accomplish this mission or we're going to die trying. We're going to accomplish this mission or we're going to die trying. And the idea for a believer is that you and your commitment and your confession to Christ, you need to burn the ships, metaphorically speaking, in your life that have any type of, let's move back to comfort. Let's move back to what's easy. Let's move back to what's simple. Christ has not called us as Christians to move into things that are simple and easy, but we are to move into things that are otherworldly. It is necessary for us to burn the ships in our lives. Burn the ships of love for sin. The the comfort of our sin. We need to cut off our sin. As John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Paul tells Timothy here to look, look at this insanely serious the things that you've done, the thing that you've committed to, you, you've committed your life to the God of the universe. And in, in, in this world, you've made a confession that, is, that very well might cost you your life. Paul, it, it cost Paul his life. He tells Timothy, this, this confession that you made could very well cost you your life. He refers... He references how Christ made the confession that this is why they killed Jesus. Jesus said, I'm God. He made the confession before Pontius Pilate that he is God. And so you and I must be willing to stand firm in our confession and our commitment to God, to the God of the universe that we've made with Christ Jesus. And this is how serious it is. That he tells Timothy, this is a serious, I charge you in the presence of God. This solemn commitment, you have made a confession. Make it a good one. Make it, make it a good confession. Then verse 14 he says, To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. This commitment is to keep the command of preaching the word. He, this is directed at Timothy personally and to preachers. 
Don't back down from preaching the word. We're going to find out in 2 Timothy chapter 4 later um, as we study this, that he tells him, listen, don't waver in these things. Don't stop preaching the word. Preach it when it's popular and preach it when it's not popular. Don't, don't waver to cultural mandates because at the uh, bottom line is you're going to give an account to the God of the universe, not to the people. It, it is it is keep yourself unstained from the world keep yourself unstained and free from the reproach of watering down the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ keep your commandments keep the commitment keep what God has laid in front of you as to be a man of the word to teach a people of the word don't be swayed by what people try to get you to say and do well you you're being a little hard on this area of sin you're maybe being a little too light you're you're just you're swinging back and forth and you're you've got to let the word be what it is and let the chips as steve lawson said let the chips fall where they may preach the word boldly and let the chips fall where they may stay true to the message of scripture that saved you the message of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That is the message that we preach. Is you're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Nothing else matters. When you have Christ in the midst of it and he, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, everything else loses its luster because Christ is the only one who has the keys to eternal life. Verse 15 which he will display at the proper time. So verse 14 ends up, keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we start to enter into this, this phase where he's, listen, Christ is going to return. Which he, at the right time, Christ will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. So there you go. There are no other gods. There are no other gods. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, verse 15. There are no other gods. I know that we live in a culture that some religions teach there are other gods. Hinduism, things like that. We say, well, that's, that's great. Mormonism. Mormonism teaches that good Mormons will be gods of their own planets one day. They stop coming to my house. I love it when they show up. Like, we like to talk to you about Jesus. Oh, awesome. Come in. They don't do that anymore. They haven't, they haven't been to my house in a couple of years. I, I've, been, I've been marked. Because I just ask questions. My first question is, do you believe you're going to be a God one day? And they're like, how do you know that? Because that's what you teach. Ladies, you don't get to be gods. You just get to be eternally pregnant. My wife said, that ain't paradise. All the mothers said, amen, right? So, he's referring to the return, his return here. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he will establish his kingdom, verse 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who 
No one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. He has the final dominion and authority over all things. We read about that today in Sunday school. That Christ came back. Listen, in the beginning of all these things, Adam had dominion. He was God's viceroy and his ambassador on this planet. Satan didn't like that. Comes down here and steals that dominion from Adam. That's the reason you see in the temptation of Christ, Satan pulls him up on a grand mountain and says, all the kingdoms of the world are mine. Why? Because he stole the dominion and the authority from Adam. So Jesus came and became the greater Adam and took back what had been stolen from us. He ransacked hell and took the keys of death and Hades and took back all authority. That's the reason you see in Matthew 28, Jesus stands on the mount and as he's ascending, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's mine. It's mine. All dominion is mine. And what does he say? I give you now authority to go. We are now, God has called us. Jesus says, you're my ambassador. We talked about this in Sunday school. What does an ambassador do? If I'm the ambassador of America, I can go anywhere. I'm a sovereign citizen and I have the authority given to me by the United States of America to make decisions on behalf of the United States of America. Now, I've been called the ambassador to the kingdom of God. When I step into places, I'm an ambassador. I'm a kingdom bearer. I'm an image bearer of the God of the universe. And so... Paul's telling Timothy here, Christ will return one day, and listen, sooner than you might think. And when he does, he will not need any government's permission. Amen. Nothing will stop him from returning. And I know that the the nations are trying to figure out ways to, to stop this. The enemy does not want the return of Christ, but he is going to return. He will establish his kingdom and he will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords forever. No one can stop this. So we're called as Christians to keep the commitment and the commands to be salt and light. You're an ambassador. You're to step into places and you're to be light. What does light do? Light dispels darkness. Salt preserves good. Makes things that are potentially could go bad. Christians are to come in and make things good. That's what we're called to do. How do we do that? By making disciples. Making disciples. And working towards doing kingdom, kingdom-minded work. That's what we're called to do. Is to have kingdom, a kingdom mentality that says Christ is the king and I will follow him and I'm going to do his will. And what is his will? To establish his kingdom. That's what we're called to do. And we do that by making, becoming salt and light. We go into dark, the dark corners of the, of the universe and we bring not our own light but the light of the gospel. And we step in with that light of the gospel and say, thus saith the Lord about this or that. And listen, our culture doesn't like it. Our culture doesn't like it. This week, 
a young man, 26-year-old street preacher in Glendale, Arizona, was standing on a street corner in Glendale, Arizona, not in Iran, not in Iraq, not in the United Kingdom, but in Glendale, Arizona, preaching, repent and trust the gospel. And another guy pulls up, pulls a gun out and shoots him in the head. That happened this week. The enemy hates humanity and he wants to see it destroyed. And more specifically, he wants to try to destroy Christianity. But we know that that ain't going to happen. Amen. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Period. this This is wild. So he tells those here in this text, go make disciples. And I, here, what? I am the sovereign king. I give you authority. Go. Go. Make disciples and work towards doing kingdom minded work. And then he switches gears a little bit in verse 17. He starts to tell people, hey, those of you who are rich, he tells those who are rich that kingdom work and what, that, what kingdom work is and what that looks like. Verse 17. And for those who are Rich in this present age, I charge them. So remember, this is the idea of I charge you. I'm giving you a solemn decree here. I charge you not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Set what? Set your hopes not on the uncertainty of money. Because, it, listen, it could be here today and it could be gone tomorrow. Anybody? Amen? Amen. It, it, here today, gone tomorrow but on God put your hopes on God who richly provides us everything that we are to enjoy verse 18 they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they might take a hold of that which is truly life. Woo. So listen, it's not, listen, God didn't say it's evil to be rich, did he? He said, hey, listen, those, that are, those of you who are rich, don't let those riches own you, you own them. You own those riches, don't let, the, don't let that money own you. And use that money to advance the kingdom. So that ultimately you're storing up treasures in heaven. You talk about a return on investment. That's an ultimate return on investment. That's what the text is telling us. Use your riches to invest in kingdom work. Now, I'm not going to be the TV preacher guy that says, Well, all right, sow your seed money. I think those guys are in deep trouble with the Lord. I think the prosperity gospel is an absolute hellish and wicked Doctrine that preys on the poor, not the rich. Those men and women will have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he says it's not evil to be rich, but don't let your money own you. You own your money and use your money to advance the kingdom so that you're storing up treasures in heaven. Use your resources you have to advance the kingdom here on the earth. Live open-handedly. To make the place, because listen, this place is not your home, not your permanent home. 
Live open-handedly and make places like your home a place where the gospel is readily available. Open your, open your doors of your home and open your tables to people to sit around them and hear the good news of how Christ has saved and redeemed you. Make your tables be a place where feasting happens, holy laughter is plentiful, and you sit around those tables content, content in who Christ is, and you contend for the faith. May we talk about the God-driven theological ideas to stir men and women's hearts towards good works. Stay true to the biblical truth. This is what you're to do. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Tell those who are rich, don't let that money own them. They need to own that money. And ultimately, because whose money is it ultimately? It's on loan from you from the Lord. What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with it? Are you sowing things that are going to be eternally vested? Or are you throwing them towards temporary pleasures? Now listen, I'm not against having good times. But a good thing, when it replaces the best thing, becomes an evil thing. I'm not against good things. Enjoy your life. Go on vacation. Have good vacations. Have times where you haven't enjoyed. Have at it. Enjoy those times. But listen... Make sure you're investing in the kingdom. Live open-handedly. Stay true to biblical truth. Make sure your homes are places that are open to people who want to hear about the things of God. And then in verse 20, he has this this, just turn and you can feel the gut wrench of Paul towards Timothy. He says, oh, Timothy. Like this, just, oh, Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions to what is falsely called knowledge. This is, there's a gravity in this verse. And there's almost a pleading in his voice to stay away from false doctrines. Stay away from false ideologies. Don't even entertain the ridiculous babble, the foolish talk of false doctrines. If it doesn't line up with what you've been taught from the scriptures and from the Lord Jesus, stay away from it. Any extra biblical stuff, stay away from it. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, stay away from it. When I was a teller, back in the... My early 20s, I worked at a couple different banks. I know, somebody allowed me to play with money. I don't even know why. But uh, I was a teller for a season of life. And when our training, in order to understand and figure out what a counterfeit bill was, they didn't hand you the counterfeit bills. They showed you. But you know what you touched and worked with all the time? The real deal. So you knew what it felt like. Real money and counterfeit money have a completely different feel. The real money, and, and, and counterfeiters are trying, to, they try their best. But man, the federal government has a corner on money. That's a different sermon for a different day. But that's, uh, 
But you feel that money and you know the real thing. So when something would slip into my hands that wasn't real, I'd go, whoa, that feels funny. And I'd take it back in the back to my manager. And our manager would begin the intense interrogation of the bill. And we'd come back, oh, yep, that one's fake. And we'd have to tell the people, hey, you got a fake bill. They weren't happy. But you, he tells him here, there's a gravity Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. God's given you a gift. God's given you this deposit. Don't waste it. It's been entrusted to you. Guard it and avoid the irreverent, silly babble and the contradictions of false ideologies and false doctrines. Don't even entertain these things. Call them for what they are. That's the reason I call out prosperity. This is the reason I'll, I'll, I'll pull names out and say people like, Creflo, Creflo Dollar and, 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 and uh, you name it, uh, Oral Roberts, Richard Roberts, any of those, if, if pretty much if it's on TBN, it's a false doctrine. There, I mean, you, you might occasionally get something good, but 99.999% of the time, I just avoid TBN because it is filled with wolves in sheep's clothing who want to just, just eviscerate the body of Christ. So I just stay away from that whole channel. You want good, solid teaching? Radio's where it's at. Bot Radio Network. All right, uh, that's not a paid sponsorship. So that's a great. I love 90, 91.5. There's this gravity here. Then verse twenty-one. For by professing it, some have already swerved from the faith. We've seen guys who've wandered into this kind of stuff. They've entertained the false gospels. Francis Chan, who I used to love. I loved Francis Chan. I read his books. I owned his books. Man, I I listened to his sermons all the time. He graduated from John MacArthur Seminary. I loved Francis Chan. But then he started aligning himself with guys like Todd White and Benny Hinn and all these prosperity healers. And he's become an apostate almost. And it just breaks my heart to see him toying around with false teachers who are teaching gospels that are absolutely contrary to a biblical gospel. Todd White goes out and he does these healing things. He's, and he's, God told me you got a pain in your back. Well, okay, sure. Do you feel a warm tingly? <laughs> what? Like, you just watch the video. The videos are just insane. He'll go out and do these weird things of healing. And then he's just like, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. You just need to, Jesus loves you. And then he walks away. He's like, that's sharing the gospel. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's not sharing the gospel. Tell somebody they got a warm tingling in their back and that Jesus loves them. That is not the gospel. The gospel is completely separate. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of sinful people for those that would believe. Christ died on the cross. He took your place as a sinful wretch so that you wouldn't have to. And he, he, he redeemed you from your sinfulness. You need, and how do you get to that point of being forgiven? You must repent of your sins. You must trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone. Not a tingly, warm feeling in your lower back. Ridiculous. Stick with the text. Study faithfully. Stay faithful to the biblical confession of being saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. And then he ends 
the text. I love this. And he just says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. So he said, he, that's how he started the text. Remember how he starts it? He starts it similar in, 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 uh, in chapter 1. He says what? To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So he starts with grace and mercy and peace to you from God our Father. And then he ends it with what? The same ideology, the same idea. Grace be with you. Grace to you and grace be with you. Grace to you in the beginning. And at the end of the letter he signs off and he says, grace be with you. That's the calling. Now, this first letter, he was, Paul was not in prison. Paul takes a little bit different tone. He goes to prison. He's in prison, this second letter. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he's in prison the first, the second half, on the second half of the letter. And so he has got a sense of urgency because he knows he's about to depart from this life. And he has a sense of urgency in telling Timothy what he must be doing in the church to advance the cause of the kingdom. And it starts with you're saved by grace through faith. And then it's just keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep moving in a forward direction that is forward towards Christ. Not towards any other doctrine. Follow Christ and Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets in except through him. So if you're, if you're here today and you're saying, well, Caleb, I'm trusting in my good works. to get, I'm trying to work my way into the kingdom. I'm just going to be a good guy. That won't make it. Your good works will not get you into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be told at that day that you do not have a part in this inheritance. If you've trusted in your good works here, or are trying to trust in your good works, you're wasting your time. You're running up Everest naked. It ain't going to happen. It is, it, it, and listen, at the end of the day, it's just exhausting. Like people that I know that are trying to, to work their way to heaven, they're exhausted. Jesus said, my yoke is light. You don't have to, you, listen, you're not picking up the heavy weight. Christ did all the heavy lifting. Amen? Christ did all the heavy lifting. You're just being obedient and following. Jesus is the one who blazes the trail. You just got to follow him. Look to him as the example. Follow him. Do what he tells you to do. And he needs you to go this way. All right, fine. Right? Do what Christ has called you to do. 